Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to be with you today. Uh, we're sitting down with uh, John Hansen, author. Uh, and uh, John, I want to give you just a moment to mention your book. Talk about what it is that uh, that's kind of been your life experience that led to you writing that book. And then we'll jump into some some questions about uh, about essentially, you know, what it is you're trying to accomplish as an author in this book, and some of the things that I think you have to offer that'll be helpful to our audience who are working through in various parts of faith crisis or faith transition. So go ahead, my friend. Thank you. Uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. I just wanted to uh, mention that, uh, you know, I, I left the church originally 20 years ago. And when I did so, it was pretty reckless exit. And, uh, and I was tortured for 20 years. I was tortured for a long, long time. And, um, you know, mentally, emotionally. And so um, I started about um, three years ago or four years ago, writing down all my thoughts about my exit from the church and why I was doing it and all those things. And and as I wrote it all down, I realized, you know, there's millions of people who have done this, what I'm doing. Um, and I don't think they really understand what happened. A lot of us don't understand what happened. And by writing it all out, I was able to figure out what what hooked me, what got me into it. I was born into it, of course, baptized as an eight-year-old. But uh, why did I why did I stay into it? Why do I why did I go to a Mormon college? Why did I connect with so many other kids that were Mormons? And and then why didn't I leave when I recognized there were so many problems and issues um, that were disturbing to me? And so um, that was my real motive for writing the book was because I think that by laying those three things out how I got in, why I stayed in, and how I got out in three sections, uh, it really helped me understand what was going on with me. And I was my hope was to help others who are still trying to figure things out. Yeah. What, what was the reason you left, if I can ask? Like what, some people leave over social issues. Some people leave over history. There's lots of reasons why people can't make Mormonism work. And I'm just curious on the front end why, what that was. Yeah, um, well, um, when I went on my mission to Guatemala, which is where I am right now, got my Guatemala soccer shirt on and everything. And um, when I when I uh, went on my mission here, uh, that was my first major um, hit on my faith um, was going on this mission. And so I guess we have expectations of things and how they should be. And it was just nothing like that. So that was the beginning of the end for me, I guess, was 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 really my mission. And I, I kept trying to stay in. I kept trying to connect. Um, nothing connected. So, um, you know, some, some people ask what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, the drop in faith or the sin? Well, my drop in faith came long before and I just I wanted out and I was ultimately excommunicated. Yeah. Did you, was there anything about truth claims? I mean, as you departed from the church and as you said here, excommunicated, was it a matter of like believing the church still was true, but you just didn't fit in or uh, had you deconstructed the truth claims or at least thought you did and found the church to not be true on a historical level? Yeah, well, you know, the all the historical things I knew, and, and they just didn't bother me because I was in a social culture. I didn't say cult. I said culture, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so this this social culture uh, drove me to, to stay in, even though I could see that there were a lot of problems. So the, sh- the shelf I had in the back of my mind was just loaded with stuff, just loaded with stuff. And and I guess it was inevitable that it was just going to come crashing. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the book and uh, what led to that or any of the other gaps you want to fill in before we start to have a conversation about the the value that this conversation might have for those who are navigating uh, a faith transition. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, um, yeah, I, I I had I had that uh, that departure that that graceless departure uh, back in 2004, 
And then in 2000 and probably uh, 13, I was rebaptized. Why I would do that, why I would want to be rebaptized after I had truly suffered so many things that I lay out in the first chapter um, of the book, first two chapters, or first two sections of the book, um, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a, a need I still had within me. I had not come to terms with all the issues. And um, one of the issues that I had trouble with, really, the very last issue I had trouble with in just leaving and breaking away was the, um, what I call as a chapter in my book, the burning in the bosom. So I had two major experiences in prayer with God. And um, one was back on, as I was in the MTC leaving on my mission. And the other one was as I was uh, getting back into the church back in 2013. So I had some private conversations with RFM about those things because he had the same experiences and couldn't deny them. And I can't deny them. They happen. So I just, I, I had to understand what those things were, where, um, and why that, that led me to continue on with so many problems that still existed. What, so uh, yeah, please. So writing the book was not an, an, an original intent. The only, the original intent I, intent I had was just to put my thoughts down on paper because I had so many swimming around in my mind. And so uh, as I started to put those things down onto paper, um, I, had, I had a notebook full of them, a couple notebooks full of them. I started to realize, wow, you know what? I'm really understanding what happened to me now. I'm understanding how I got hooked. I'm understanding why I stayed in, in, in spite of all the issues that were going on. And so, um, and so then I started thinking, you know, this, this might really be helpful for other people, other other Mormons, who are trying to figure out where they're at and where they're going in life, and and it froze me for a lot of years. And I just I hate to think of so many people who were just frozen in life because they really don't know how they got there or where they're going to go from there. Gotcha. So um, your book is attempting to reach a particular audience, uh, folks who find, as you point out, maybe church culture uh, to be sort of maybe frustrating and uh, not necessarily uh, don't believe it, not not that they find the church to be, you know, completely untrue or, but that, that there's some truth there and that they're, they, they're looking for a way to sort of navigate that in a, in a way that allows them to attend and, and not feel lost outside of it. Yeah, um, that's right. Because in my in my preface to the book, I, I do um, write out 10 basically stages where we might be with our faith, you know, and so in those 10 stages, um, it's for the reader to figure out, you know, where am I right now? And, and to understand where you are right now might change in a week, might change in a month, might change in a year, um, you know, and, and so there's no all, I don't think there's any all in or all out. I think that we're all at different degrees of faith and, and activity in, in what we're doing. Um, and so, um, so, so I tried to let, I try in that preface to lay all that out to under, help people understand it. And I have a really close friend who, um, who understood a little bit of the journey I was on. And she had, uh, she had asked me, she had told me she was very, very devout and and uh, believing, and and she had asked me about my experience, and I said, "Well, let me show you this manuscript I've written." <laughs> so I sent her a copy of the manuscript, and and she and her husband have chosen to not withdraw their membership of the church, just to withdraw themselves physically from being active in the church because they could see the damage it was doing to their family. So they um, so they just made a choice to um, to stay stay in with membership, but really they're not believing. They're not mentally there. They call that a PIMO, right? A part in, mostly out. <laughs> yeah, physically and mentally out. Yeah. Um, yep. 
Tell us about the book. So the book is Navigating on Black Ice, My Mormon Life, and uh, share with us sort of the storyline or or the premise of the book and and what it is attempting to uh, help the person see that they can now find maybe a renewed value in the church that they can still engage in on some level. Yeah. Well, um, there, there were two analogies that I had come up with as I was putting all these writings together. And one of them was the uh, white oleander, which is a beautiful white flower that uh, grows in gullies and ditches and dry areas. And, and it just is, has a sweet scent and it looks great and it's awesome. And it's the most poisonous plant to man. And so um, you can't you can't consume it. You can't uh, lick the petals that you just you just have to um, understand it's poisonous. Well, that analogy was superseded by the black eyes because I realized, um, you know, I just remembered so many times driving back and forth to um, Rick's College, right, driving back and forth to BYU and going over what they call black ice and realizing it's not really black ice. That's a misnomer. The roadway is black below. The ice is, you see through it and it's clear. And so um, I wanted to demonstrate or illustrate that this is how the church was for me. And these are, you know, my take on things. Um, and I wanted others to, to see that the church is like the black roadway underneath. It's nice. It's solid. It looks safe. Looks, it looks great. Um, but there's a sheet of ice over it really, that's very slippery. And if you're not careful, it's going to cause a lot of uh, psychological damage, which it did to me. And I cover a lot of that in the book, what what damages were that I felt that I suffered because of this uh, illusion that we have of the church, you know, this, this safe sound, everything. And really, it, very early on before my mission, even I, when I was first going to rest college, I was so troubled by the by the eternal family issue i was because I, I was just like well, where are we gonna live we're we gonna live in a big a beach bungalow somewhere what i mean what's the deal what does it mean be together forever i just didn't understand it didn't make sense uh to me at all and i and i would question my teachers i would question people about it and really no one seemed to have an answer they just liked the concept of being together with your family forever who wouldn't right but what's the reality? And so that was the the illusion is the is the pavement underneath the ice. The reality, I guess, is that ice that that really there's nothing there. And one of my chapters in the book is um, the emperor has no clothes. So when you really dig into it, is there really such a thing? And what does it even mean of families being together for uh, forever? You know, and the priesthood. What is that? The power of the priesthood? <laughs> Come on. You know, I mean, those are just things that. Uh, always were troubling to me, and I wanted to really explore and dig in and 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 see if there was anything to those. And for me, there was not. You know, it was just it was just ice over the roadway. The roadway looked nice. Love the social structure. Love the love so much friendships in the church. I love so much about it, but I found it to be an illusion, and it was something that was not healthy for me psychologically to continue to try to pursue. Well, excellent. So let's, let's jump into the conversation. So uh, the first note you make is that there are degrees of faith and it doesn't have to be all in or all out. And I'm curious, uh, let's start there and, and get a feel for what you mean by that. Well, yeah, again, going back to the preface where I put this in on page um uh, eight of the preface, it says that, um, you know, the, these 10 stages, I guess I, I, I call them, um, are are you number one, super active and super believing? And then it, it, it goes all the way down to 10, which is all, all out in all ways. Well, um, that's what I mean. I'm not, I don't think you have to be anything. The church seems to want you to commit and be all in or all out have tons of lessons in their manuals about um, don't be a right, don't ride on the fence, be all in or all out kind of thing. And so um, I, I just think that the really, there, there's so many stages we could be in with our faith. I recognized when I, when I was writing those things out, I recognized, wow, I've been in 
six different stages most of my life, you know, of, of that process, one through six, you know, which were all very faithful stages. And then I just kind of skipped out to 10 and I was out. <laughs> and um, and so I think that whatever stage someone's at, you know, they don't have to give reason or explain. They just are. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that about ourselves, but also about other people. You know, they don't have to be this uh, perfection or they don't have to be this um, dissenter, you know, completely on the other side. You can be in the middle. You know, I have a lot of friends and family who are just somewhere in the middle and they're working through their stages. You agree, though, that Mormonism makes it really tough. You already named one reason, which is that they sort of demand on some level. The rhetoric is that you need to be completely committed. And we have tons of uh, theology and scriptures and quotes from leaders that would point to uh, folks that have any sort of lackluster faith, as they would see it, as being uh, lazy in the gospel. And so you you acknowledge that the church uh, really doesn't have a very safe rhetoric for uh, a nuanced half kind of half sort of participation in the church. Right, right. It's 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 like the Wizard of Oz. You know, the wizards behind the curtain <laughs> and trying to trying to get everybody to just be all in can't be any out at all because uh, I'm, I'm reading the, I'm reading the book to September six right now. And, and, you know, um, these are people that just were at a different stage and they were trying to understand and asking questions. You, Bill Real, you were, were someone who just had questions. You were trying to understand it all. You know, that's a normal thing. And it's not, you know, good or bad. It's just what is. And I don't think that the church is doing us any favors, you know, by saying you got to be all in. You can't, can't question. You can't think. Just need to you know, follow this rhetoric, I think that's extremely dangerous. And there's going to have to be a transition at some point if the church wants to survive. There's going to be have to be a transition uh, from this this hardcore um, uh, culture of, of all in to understanding that different people are at different stages. And if we want to have a if we want to have a family, so to speak, a church family, we've got to uh, be more inclusive of everybody. Yeah. And I just, I want to move on from this point, but I want to at least touch on it, which is not only does it give that rhetoric, but it, the person going who has a less than literal belief, for instance, or sees that going to church every week is just socially not, it's not going to be emotionally healthy for them. There's also then the realization that if you choose to go on some level, if you participate on at, to any degree, you're going to have to endure the sort of unhealthy rhetoric about you and people like you that can be can be to some degree not good for you, not not healthy for you. In other words, when I got to the point in church where I was no longer exactly believing it and I wanted to stay, I was serving as the financial clerk in my ward and I wanted to be there, but I didn't believe it anymore. And if they said something ridiculous that was going to be harmful, I would raise my hand and say, that's actually not the history today. We, I know it's in the manual. I know you guys are using it in the lesson, but we have better history today that our scholars and historians agree to. That isn't the story. And this story is being used in an unhealthy way to, to make us feel shame so that we do what the church wants us to. It got to the point where I would leave church and my hand would be shaking. I would feel so much anxiety that I, it wasn't healthy for me to be there anymore. And my fear is that on one end, we're saying that it is um, that we can negotiate this thing and choose something less than being all in while the church's messaging, and you point out it has to change, the church's messaging in the modern moment might be so harmful that it's not, it actually makes matters worse. And it's, it's even worse for our well-being to be half in or partially into the church. I assume you agree with that as well. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, and 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 really, the the biggest mistake the church ever made was to say this is the one and only true restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and all the other churches are an abomination. You know that arrogance, that attitude is—I mean, it 
it, it, it goes right along with this all in all out kind of thing. And so um, I think that uh, I think back on discussions I had with other members of the church my whole life. And I think there's probably a majority who have issues with certain things and they, and they just, but they love, they love the social structure. They, they, they want to be in just like you, Bill, I wanted to be in, I wanted those things. And it just, um, it, it, it just wasn't in the cars. It wasn't healthy for me emotionally. Yeah. So, you know, you've hit on the idea in the book that, uh, the church is like this road and and often we see the road and we think it just looks like it's safe and beautiful and it's going to get us to where we need to go. And then realizing that, as you point out in the book, your analogy is that we're driving on black ice, that it's actually slippery and dangerous and we ought to pay maybe a, a lot more attention than what we do. And maybe we take our, the, the safety, the assumed safety uh, for granted and that it's not real. And so I'm, I'm curious, um, how do you suggest that we handle our membership in the church if the church is in fact not the safe, secure way exactly to get there? Um, well, my answer to that would be awareness. So I, I believe that there's real power in awareness. And so when we are aware of, of what's going on, what the conflicts are and everything else, we we can take steps to to be healthy emotionally and mentally. But, but when we are unaware of it, like you say, you know, we, maybe, maybe we decide to go to church once a month. So some member comes up to us trying, you know, with all good intentions, trying to maybe get us to be a, um, a home teacher. I don't know if they do home teaching anymore, you know, that kind of thing, ministering angel or whatever they call them, yeah. uh, do something to, to participate in the church. And, and so we have to have some dialogues. We have to be aware that these people are sincere and genuine, whatever they're doing, but it's not healthy for us. And so we have to have some dialogues prepared for those conversations, those types of things that are going to come up. And um, and I think that uh, when when we have those awarenesses and have those preparations in conversation for it, that we can, you know, that we can, to, you know, just stand up for it, say what we say, what we feel, and and who we are and how we are and not feel fear for retribution or anything else. Yeah. Um, it, the other fear I have, and, and again, I, I, I get, I think I get where you're coming from and I, I don't think you would suggest that someone stay if it's just not healthy for them, that they should always pull back to whatever degree of participation is best for their well-being. But for me, and, and for a lot of folks, Mormonism really is a high-demand fundamentalist religion in much the same way as, say, Scientology or Jehovah's Witnesses. And those faiths also have members who go like, yeah, I love the community. I love being here. I love the people. Um, but maybe knowing or even not knowing uh, this religion can do a lot of damage. You you point out some of the damage it's done to you. Um. My fear is that if we make the church a really safe, if we, if we give rhetoric that the church can still be navigated, it, it, as long as you're willing to sort of compromise some things and hang on to some things and sort of negotiate that to the best of your ability, that maybe in the end, it still is just harmful. And I know that there's going to be a lot of folks who listen here who go, man, I just had to get the hell out of there and get as far away. And that I'm just a, I'm a much healthier uh, human being with with much more significant well-being if I just uh, take the the position that this thing has nothing to offer me and I am best being out of there what any thoughts you would say to someone who who feels that way well I, I totally agree that you know if it's not working for you um, and you can't navigate it with with uh, being part in or or partly partly participating in it, um, you know, then I would, you know, maybe the best option is just to be completely out. I mean, that's that's obviously on the table. I did I did that. I had my name removed from the records in 2018, I think it was, and um, and it just uh, was my my choice because I didn't feel like I could do any longer 
navigate on that on that black ice. I needed to just be out. And that's where I'm at. And that's where many people will find themselves. Um, and that's the healthiest thing. But um, I, I think I think that when I, my favorite calling of all my callings I had was when I used to teach 14 and 15 year olds Sunday school, because the questions those kids would have would just be spot on awesome questions. Mm-hmm. But no one would dare ask that in the gospel doctrine class. You know, even though the questions were great questions they would be perceived in a certain way. And so those perceptions are something that we fear. We, we, we fear so much uh, as people going to church, but maybe, maybe, maybe not believing that we're going to be looked at as a slacker or as a, you know, whatever. Uh, so we, so we put up facades, we, we, we pretend. And, and wouldn't it be great if we could do what you said, Bill, and you, we could be sitting in a gospel doctrine class, raise our hand or, in a priesthood class, we're to raise our hand and ask a question or clarify something without shaking about it, without just be able to to say, this is what I found, and can we explore that a little bit? Maybe that's not in the manual, but but it's probably something that's going to be important for a lot of people. Yeah. When you were out, so let me just ask this pretty blunt. You're, you don't attend church, at least not regularly anymore. No, at all. At all. But right. you've but you've reengaged Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, right? After being out for about eight years, yeah, um, I um, I got invited by, and I, I tell this story in my book. I got invited by my daughter in law to a to to attend a Spanish speaking branch in the uh, Kent, Washington area, and uh, and when I went there, I just. I just love, I love hearing Spanish. I just loved listening. So I would go and just listen and hear the Spanish and and that would be terrific for me. And then I'd go to my favorite wine bar and spend the rest of the afternoon. And then it ultimately led to a, like I said, that burning in the bosom experience that I had, I call it that, but it was a, it was a very powerful prayer experience uh, for me, which I interpreted to mean that I was supposed to be, active and going back to church. And when I think back on that profound experience, God never said that. God never said anything about Mormons or LDS or anything else. He just said to forgive the people who are falling short because everyone was falling short for me in the church. And so um, so, so I did that and it just naturally led me to make some suppositions. I supposed God wanted me to go back to the Mormon church. I supposed God wanted this and that. But as soon as I went back, I, I discovered very quickly that there, there is no inspiration. There is no revelation in the church. It doesn't exist. It's a pretend thing. It's something that we wish was there. We pretend it's there. It doesn't exist. And when I saw how clearly it didn't exist, and not only did it not exist, the church leaders themselves were, although they were devoid of inspiration, they many times were also just incompetent in doing their jobs. And so there was the, the, the double whammy there of incompetence going along with no inspiration. And I just I finally reached a point where I said, you know what, I'm just not going to pick this up and pretend anymore. I've got, just got to get out. Do you, do you find it so – do you find it strange – You've you've stepped back. You don't attend anymore. And you've written a book to folks saying like, hey, if this thing isn't good for you, like withdraw to whatever level of participation is good for you. Um, and, and the path that you've chosen is to stand completely back. Like, uh, I, I love the community. I love the people, but I'm not going anymore. And so I'm just curious, what is your level of engagement? Because it sounds like you've written a book about engaging with Mormonism on some degree, and yet you don't participate in the Sunday part of it, um, which I don't, I don't blame you. I, I stepped away myself. I couldn't be do that, but I'm curious, like what level of engagement are you holding in terms of being a, some sort of uh, practice or belief in Mormonism in the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints? Um, yeah. Well, I don't have any, I just I just have many friends and family who who I love and 
and who I respect. And so I show them courtesies and respect because of their beliefs. So I'm, I'm here in the, uh, I'm here with my son and his family, his wife and three kids who are very believing and uh, people. And so, um, so they go to church and I, and I did, and I did go last Sunday. I actually went to church with them um, and just observed. I just sat and watched and, and because they were having a primary program, I wanted to see my grandkids, you know, in the primary program. Um, and, and yes, I have, I have a lot of cynical thoughts while I'm sitting through like I did on Sunday, you know, about, about what they're doing, but um, they're just my thoughts. And we have discussions, my son and I, and my daughter-in-law and I a lot about the church and different doctrines and things like that. And so, so I think I've heard the term used nuanced Mormons, you know, who are, who are maybe um, uh, they believe, or they at least want to believe that they have some questions or they have some doubt. Uh, and they want to um, sometimes have discussions about those questions and those tests, and they have no safe place to go. So, so I do find that people who who are like that do. I think they enjoy conversations with me because because I'm not going to hold anything against them. I'm not going to judge them or anything. You know, I understand. Um, and and I think that we're talking about a majority in the church. Yeah, I think, yeah, totally. I think there are tons of members who, if it was completely safe, would like to ask things or raise concerns or point out something that doesn't feel like it's it's uh, healthy for them to, to do. Um, you've got a note here about playing house and make-believe is avoidance of life and love. And uh, I'm curious, who's who's playing house and who's playing make-believe? Yeah, well, well, my kids don't like that part of the book because because it affects their mother. So their their mother and I were both returned missionaries who married in the temple, um, and I and I and I realized you know somewhat later after we did did all those steps that here I was I had to move forward. But then I realized you know what I'm not really I mean I was never in love with her. I learned to love and appreciate her because she was the mother of my children, you know, but did I really love her? No, I didn't, you know, I didn't even like her that much, you know, when we got married, but it was, it was the game you played, right? You were off mission. You're supposed to get married. Um, I have a chapter on, on hormones (laughs) in the book, chapter 10 of, of the first section of the book. And, and, and that's what kind of also hooked me into it was because you know, the, the, the either worthy or unworthy kind of thing is so strong. It's one or the other. You can't be in the middle anywhere. No, I, felt like I had to get married and I had to get married to somebody who was, you know, returned missionary and devout and all that. And, and, um, and then I realized, uh, at a certain stage, a few years later that I was just playing house. I was, it was all make believe. Um, it, I, I, w- I was really avoiding love because because I was um, I had I had set expectations in my mind, and uh, and love is something that uh, like right now I, I feel like I'm very much in love with the lady that I share a home with uh, back in back in the Seattle area and and uh, and we're in love because she accepted me unconditionally and she had to hear my constant. Uh, blabbering about the, the church and and she really helped me uh, work through and get through a lot of issues i think that we have to have a safe place to go i think as members of the church anyway you as members of the church have to have a safe place you can go to talk about issues and and otherwise we're just we're just putting on facades and pretending and we're we're basically playing house we've all seen mom and dad do it and so we think that's the way to live life and we just Go through emotions, but never really experience life and love, true life and love. Because love yeah. to be to really be love, it has to be unconditional. And nobody is more conditional with their love than God, according to yeah, according to the scriptures. Yeah, and there is a lot of playing house and pretending. It, it doesn't matter really what faith you're in. I'm not. I'm not here to say like all religions bunk, but to some degree all religions create a faith promoting narrative about themselves. They, uh, 
they insist that they've got the one true path. They've, they've got all the ways in which you need to tolerate what they do to you because it's for your better good. They know better. God knows better. But as you point out, God and Mormonism is pretty, uh, pretty unwilling to consider some of the harm that he's doing and and to allow his church leaders to keep doing it. And so I, I just, I find, I find this dynamic interesting, you know, here you are, you're, you're on here. We're having a conversation about your book. You're not participating in Mormonism at all. You're suggesting to your reader that they renegotiate their activity based on what is best for them. And what you decided to do was to withdraw completely. What I decided to do was to withdraw completely um, you're certainly doing it a lot kinder, I think it sounds like to, to the folks who are still in, but it seems like a strange premise, uh, you know, to, to be completely out and writing a book saying, Hey, you can stay partially in, but you don't need to be all the way in is sort of a, kind of a strange concept because you're really the, the enemy to the person who thinks the church is true, but is also starting to ask questions about maybe it being unhealthy for them they you're going to look to them like what happens if i start paying attention to the adversary i'm going to end up completely out i'm not going to be here anymore and so i'm I'm curious what your thoughts are about that sort of irony of you're out completely and uh suggesting to folks that they have the safety to sort of renegotiate their spiritual uh activity in the church yeah, well, the dissonance that we that I experienced going through the church my whole life was intense. It was just intense. You know, here here I was being told that I was in the latter days. I was a chosen generation. I was chosen to for these last days. I was perfect and all these things. And then at the same and and those things built me up. And then at the same time. I'm being told I'm a vile sinner. I'm a vile sinner because I um, do do this or I do that, and they're they're silly little things, you know. But they were but they were big things to people in the church, and and really that that was a, a huge backbreaker for me too. Is just because I was when I was still in the church, I just went on a motorcycle ride early one morning, and I and I didn't know I had diabetes, and I. <laughs> I didn't know. And I all of a sudden I always felt like I was going to pass out. And I pulled off to the side. And the only thing around anywhere was a little coffee stand. And I went over and bought a bought a mocha because they didn't have anything else. They didn't have water. They didn't have sodas or anything else. And I never had coffee before. And I'll tell you what, that was delicious. And it picked me up and I was able to get home. But my wife exploded on me. She just exploded, told me how I was unworthy and how this and that and the other. I was like, hey, I just had a mocha so I could get home safe. Would you rather I died on the side of the road somewhere? I mean, that was the choice. And I realized that that image, that very image, is the dissonance that we're caught in as Mormons. We are, there's little little things that, that in the Mormon church are so big, you know, things like coffee or wine. Those should be personal choices that people make. It's not a sin. Those are not sins. Maybe abuse of them would be, but but certainly just, I mean, I can't think of anything I like more than a glass of red wine or a, uh, in the evening or a cup of coffee in the morning. Those things just taste good and they help me feel good. But abused, they would not be good, you know. And and so, and those are just little, little things, um, but we can take that on a scale to those bigger things. And so the di- dissonance, creates in us feelings of being hypocritical, feelings of being uh, unworthy, feelings of, you know, these types of things that are so destructive to us. And that's if we buy into that hardcore narrative. And I just, you know, and I just think that um, people, if they want to stay in culturally and that kind of thing, that, that that's fine for them. They've got to make that choice when to, when to, to break it free. I had, I had to make that choice when to just, cut loose completely, which I did yeah. twice because, because I fell for, for the not understanding of that uh, burning in the bosom and what that meant. So I was, I was brought in again because I wanted it to be true so bad, but it just, it just wasn't, you know, and I, and then when I finally realized that I just thought, you know what, I just got to cut the ties. So I completely cut the ties. If others want to 
try to navigate that black ice in life with the church. That's their that's their business. That's their choice. But awareness, as I said earlier, is so important for our mental health to 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 see the awareness of that so that we're not caught up in that dissonance, that constant dissonance that we are, that we that I was, not anymore, but as Mormons are, you know, with with the church. Yeah. I thought when when you reached out to me and said, hey, I've written this book, and I said, hey, I'd love to have a conversation, and we went about scheduling it. Uh, in my mind, what was going to happen was I was going to be interviewing a active member of the church who was taking the people who were heading out the door and was going to grab them by the hand and say, hey, no, no, no let's try this again. Like, I think there's a better way to do this. Come on back in. And let's in let's enjoy whatever level of activity I can help you to to have. And what I what I'm learning in this conversation with you is that it's sort of the opposite, which is um, you're on sort of the outside, and there are folks uh, outside the doors, outside activity, and there are folks who are inside the church who are feeling a lot of cognitive dissonance. They're feeling a lot of uh, anguish and anxiety. They're not feeling like the church is the best fit for them. And instead, you're taking their hand and working them towards the door and saying, hey, like, I'm not here to take you out. You can stay to whatever degree you want, but you don't have to live with this anguish or anxiety. You don't have to sit silent as uh, church leaders act dysfunctionally. Um, And to me, this is sort of a a mind-blowing concept that I wasn't anticipating when I sat down today to have this conversation. Um, it feels as though you're on the outside going, look, I'm not going to pull you out, but I would suggest that you pull back to whatever level of activity and interaction with the church is healthy for you and that you should not feel the manipulation and pressure of the church pushing you to do anything other than that. Very well said. Uh, great. I, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I was sort of <laughs> anticipating I was going to come on here today and, and sort of unravel the other perspective, which I think is deeply dysfunctional, which is to do what maybe like Terrell Givens or Patrick Mason do, which is like, yes, your the problems you bring up are real and church is still true. So kind of deal with it, but we'll just love you as you deal with it. And I don't think it's a healthy approach. Um, what you're suggesting is much healthier, which is if, if you stayed home for COVID, which everybody, just about everybody had to, and you went like, whoa, I don't feel this huge burden on me. I don't feel sh- all this shame. I don't feel all of this. Uh, I'm not being manipulated in my in my weekly life now because I'm, I'm not affected by the church the way I was when I was going. You're suggesting like, hey, it, it, do what's best for you. Do what's healthy for you. And I, I'm, I'm just deeply impressed with that, by the way. I, I'm very appreciative that this is the perspective you hold and not the one I made assumptions about you holding. And I think it's a, a really good way to reach out and help people that you want to help. Um, and I think you've made it really clear here. You, you've not articulated any kind of argument that everybody should be inactive and, and not believe and get out of there as fast as you can. But the perspective you seem to be offering is don't stay in the midst of being traumatized and harm harmed, uh, figure out a healthy way to navigate this thing that is good for you, not good for them because full activity, manipulation, shame is good for them. Full tithe payer, good for them. You're saying don't don't worry about what they're telling you to do. Navigate this in a way that's best and healthiest for you. Very well said. Yeah. Yep. Anything you want to say about that? Well, you know, the, yeah, the damage that can come if you if you're not aware and you're not careful uh, is what happened to me. So so I was a I was a businessman. I, I ran my own real estate office and I grew it and ballooned it and. And acquired other offices and had a had a had a pretty pretty good team sales team right and uh, but I lived under the dissonance of I was always unworthy and so it was just going to be a matter of time before this whole thing blew up I didn't deserve all these things I didn't deserve all this success you know it was all a blessing from God and God would one day take it away from me and I was just waiting for it all to crumble down and so I sold at three offices and I sold them off before it could all come crumbling down on me. I would never have done that if I was not a Mormon or a religion that made me feel 
unworthy of those blessings. Um, and that's just the business aspect of it is just one example. There were other examples within married life, ch children, everything else. Uh, it's, just, it's just life is tough to navigate, you know, unless you are aware of what's going on and you're taking steps to, to, to mentally understand that. I didn't even know it until I started doing life coaching um, and, and had, had two or three really good life coaches. And the thing that they focused on for me was loving myself, forgiving myself and loving myself. And, and one of them in particular was just really good at saying, you know, John, you got to just say, you got to laugh at yourself and say, isn't that funny that I did that? <laughs> that, is just a, that is just a kick that I would do something so silly like that, you know, instead of, instead of always making myself um, feel shame, feel guilt, feel all this, all this stuff and, and unworthy of blessings and all that. And life, life could have been so much better lived for me. Not that it was horrible by any means. I have children. I love my children. I have grandchildren. I love my grandchildren. But man, life could have been so much more enjoyable and fun had I, had I not had religion in it yeah i can i can certainly relate to that there there were things that church gave me that i'm grateful for and it did a lot of things to me and and to others that i know that it just had no right imposing on us um especially when it does it behind the idea that hey we speak to god we're the ones who know the the truth and and you're you're even if your gut tells you otherwise, your job is to get in line. And it's just a, such a ripe area for abuse. And, and you say such a thing. You, you said that the Orthodox Mormon church is an abuser. And it sort of uh, gets us to develop a relationship with it that is sort of like Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe, maybe not sort of. Maybe is Stockholm Syndrome, where we love the person who's hurting us, causing us harm. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I did a, a post on one of the sites about, about that chapter that I write, Stockholm Syndrome, and someone was really quick to say, well, Stockholm Syndrome always involves violence, physical violence and threat of immediate violence, you know, and so it scares, it shocks a person into, into obedience. But, but there's a lot of other aspects to it which are like you're just saying, you love you love the person because you see that they are safety. You know they are they are sa your 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 safety person and your protector, right. and then and then you fear them because um, because they they'll beat you. You know if you don't if you're not in lockstep, they'll yeah. they'll beat you. And so. I see that as what the church did to me. You know, I, I see the, the church is always being, you know, as long as you're obedient, you're going to get blessed and you're going to always have our love and everything else. But if you do anything wrong, set, you know, and so, so that Stockholm syndrome effect that we, that we have in our mind, I think that a lot of Mormons go through that. It wasn't just me. I don't think, I think we are frozen by the, by the threat of, Fear. I mean, we. I even had an, an active Mormon in a discussion recently who said, who brought up to me and says, "Well, yeah, but didn't you back in the day used to have to do go to the temple and make symbols of slitting your own throat and disemboweling your midsection?" Yes, we. Yes, I did. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. So, so there was, you know, there was a lot of fear, and I would say if I was to describe my life as a Mormon. I would say fear was the main thing. Yeah. Fear is such a controlling mechanism, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, it's such a leap. I think for people to really come to grips and realize that their church actually was abusive. That, that seems like such a difficult thing for people to, to sort of figure out. Do you have any advice for people who, sense that something doesn't feel right but they they haven't they haven't considered the fact that maybe the church is an abuser and maybe it's not the healthiest place to be any thoughts you have in terms of 
helping people to sort of sense their own kind of internal world and, and what's going on inside of them that would indicate that maybe this isn't the best place for them to be participating at the level that they do? Well, I would just say to ask questions, you know, that, that we have a tendency as human beings, our egos anyway, have a tendency to want to just state things and let pe- tell people this is the way things are. And that's not how people learn. You know, so people people learn by being asked questions, talking it out, understanding through their own explanations of talking. That's that's coaching, right? So yeah. so the best thing you can do is just ask questions, let them expound on those, and and uh, and then you don't need to tell them anything. You just ask the right questions, and they're going to figure it out. Yeah, I, I often thought that, like, if I could. If I could take, for instance, uh, uh, Stephen Hassan's bite model, uh, the control model, behavior, information, uh, emotional control. I forget what the T stood for. But if I could just show people like, hey, do you agree that that's unhealthy? And they go like, yeah, of course, that's unhealthy. Do you think it's unhealthy when it shows up in your religion? And, and get them to sort of face it, you know, coming from it from the other direction. I think most people would arrive at that. And yet uh, it, it seems as though it's such a hard thing when you are a believer in a religious paradigm, you've been born into it. You've been raised your entire life to see that this is the one true path. This is where you're supposed to be. Um, it, it's really, the brain doesn't really easily let you come to grips with maybe this isn't the best place for you, or at least as you're pointing out, this isn't uh the level of investment you're putting into it isn't probably in your best interest. Uh, that's a really hard place. So I think you made a good point. Ask questions because anytime we try to tear people down from their beliefs, they tend to believe their beliefs even stronger. That doesn't tend to work very well. People have to sort of come to it on their own. And um, I appreciate that. The, the The language of just asking good questions, I think, is really central to getting people to see that there, there's a, there's a chance they've been deceived on some level about what is good for them and what isn't. And as you point out, it's, it's very much like Stockholm syndrome. Um, the last thing you've got here in terms of a point to be made, uh, if the choice is to leave the church, there are deep neural pathways that were carved into your brain and self-care is essential. And I want to set this up this way. I'm I'm very aware because of who I am and what I do in this space. I get interactions with thousands of people over the years uh, who have been on this journey. And when people pull back from the church, almost all of them report back that it was once they stepped away and saw the forest from the trees, it was uh, significantly high that they felt they were in better uh, shape, condition, well-being, mental healthiness, you know, uh, life stability, happiness, contentment, majority, 90-something percent. I did a survey down here in southern Utah. About 90-something percent said that they were better off having stepped away and that they that they were living a better life and were happy that they'd stepped away and would never consider going back. But there is a percentage of people, um, maybe somewhere in the range of 6 to 9% of folks who openly say, like, I'm not happier. I believed in this thing, and life went so smooth and good when I was in it, and now that I've learned it isn't what it claims to be or that it isn't healthy for me, I've stepped away, and I'm, I'm feeling a lot of pain from that. And I, if I could go back, I'd go back right in a heartbeat. I'd snap my finger, and I'd be back in there. And I think it points to what the point you're trying to make, which is if folks decide to step away, there is a there is a a large chunk of us who in the in the uh, immediacy of stepping away are going to have to figure out who we are for maybe the first time in our life. And we're going to have to renegotiate uh, how we live our life, whether we're going to be coffee drinkers and if we're going to drink alcohol. And if we're going to drink alcohol, how are we going to do that in a healthy slash unhealthy way? If we're going to um, renegotiate various aspects of our life, drugs and sexuality being other ones that when you step away from the church, you have to sort of rethink it. I didn't do these things because my church told me they were wrong and maybe they're not exactly wrong. Um, in that environment, there is a lot of room to mess up 
mess up in ways that bring harm and further injury to yourself and your own well-being. And it seems like in this point, you also recognize that. And I want to get your thoughts on what do we do to help people renegotiate Mormonism, but do so in a way that brings them the safest, healthiest uh, results of that and, and doesn't hurt too bad along the way. Yeah. Well, we, you know, when we were Mormons, we had, uh, we, one of the, one of the things that I would say, what felt like a blessing was that I had an identity. I knew who I was and I knew where I was going. I knew what I was doing. I didn't realize it was an illusion of ice over the dark roadway. You know, I just, I just thought this is who I am. And it's so great to know who I am and, and have that identity and sense of purpose. Right. So, so when people do navigate out of the church, I believe what they need, what they, what they need to do in self care is they need to, you know, get a coach or get a good counselor and, and uh, one or the other. And I personally like coaching better than ca- uh, counseling because coaches are always focused on the future and moving you forward. And that's what we have to do. I think as we're leaving the church is we have to understand that we are, um, that, 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 that we have had a purpose. We had a, a, a sense of identity and now that's going to be gone. And just like if I was going to go on a diet, if I'm going to stop eating a certain thing, I need to have something else to replace it with. Right. Or else I'm going to have a struggle every, every day with that food. So in the same aspect, we, in the same respect, uh, I think that that the person who's navigating out of the church has to find things that are going to replace that identity that sense of purpose. And um, some people find it with sports. That's probably my easiest fall back on because I love pro sports and college football. And so, so it gives me a sense of purpose. I look forward to every Saturday and every Sunday for, for football. And it gives, and, and as far as an identity goes, it also gives me identity. You know, I wear, I wear my Seahawk colors proudly. I wear my my Seattle Mariners colors proudly, even though we lose every year. It's Your just, Seahawks it, just beat my Cleveland Browns. Tyler Lockett had an incredible game, by the way. And he's on one of my fantasy teams. I, I'm in three fantasy leagues as well. So Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, Najigba, and uh, DK Metcalf are all playing parts in each of my three teams. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so um, you know, but, but, you know, I think of my my daughter, and she's immersed herself in yoga, and and uh, and and is a is a, a yoga reiki. I, I forget the names of them, but she's talked about them. But she's very involved in in those things. So that's become her purpose, and that's become where she gets her uh, her her perks from inside. You know, is doing good, teaching other people, meditation and yoga, and and uh, those things. So, um, so I think it's just really important for, uh, for each person who's going to navigate out to make sure that they are attaching to something new, because if you just leave yourself out there, you're going to feel like you're free falling. When I first did it, when I first left the church 20 years ago, I described it back then as, uh, that I was standing on shifting sand, just felt like I was standing on ground that was unstable. That was just moving all the time. You know, it just, it just did, something didn't feel right in life, and I now know, looking back, what it was. You know, it was that I didn't, I didn't replace those things with a new sense of purpose, a new identity, a new, uh, well, purpose. I guess is the, the the best word. I think that's what made us as more active Mormons feel really good about ourselves. Was that we always had a purpose, and we always had an identity. Yeah, I love that. Um... Even to this day, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a critic of Mormonism. I spend uh, every day trying to create content, trying to uh, get conversations together where we can sort of shine a light on the unhealthiness of this faith tradition. And uh, I still say I'm a Mormon. It's sort of ingrained in me. I, I joined this church when I was 17 and I invested all of my life energy into it for two decades. Um, it's not something that washes off easy being a Mormon. 
Right. And uh, I'm really grateful that you're giving folks the encouragement to place their own well-being and healthiness above the teachings uh, of the church. And and I think that's a really cool thing that in all the conversations I've had, like I said, what I feared it was going to be, what my assumption about what this conversation was going to be uh, is what a lot of folks on the inside offering help are doing. They're pulling your hand and asking you to take a little more punishment, a little more abuse and stay a little closer to the inside where the brethren want you to be. And uh, I just haven't found these men to be reliable. They, they, they're not good at prophesying. They hardly ever do it. And when they do, it often fails. They're not good at teaching the truth because they're, they, they self-admit that all the old doctrines have been thrown out and everything is now changed to something new. And they don't really have a safe environment. Uh, tons of child abuse, tons of patriarchy, tons of uh, abuses that happen in other ways where people are giving way too much of their time and energy and losing precious time with their family in hopes that there's something on the other side that probably isn't exactly what we've been told it is. Um, And so I'm just deeply grateful for the effort you're making. And I'd like to give you another chance here at the end, just to mention the book, mention the title of the book and tell people where they can find it and, and procure the book. And uh, uh, I'm just, I'm grateful for the conversation today, my friend. Well, I appreciate that, Bill, very much. And um, so, yeah, so I, I would like to say that, 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 that this book is broken into the three sections, um, and, and, and there's 10 chapters in each one of the three sections that address, you know, what's kind of brought me into the church and then why I stayed in and then how I got out and what difficulties there were for me getting out and how you might avoid those if you're choosing to get out. So, um so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful to basically just help people with this as much as possible. It's available on Amazon. So so um, if you go on to uh, Amazon Books and and look it up by my by my full name, John Moroni Hansen, which I never use. I only use for this book. <laughs> and that's an E N, right? Not an O N. That's an E N. It's an O N. O N. Hansen with an O. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry. John Moroni Hansen. Uh, as the author, and then um, and then uh, again navigating on black ice, my Mormon life, yeah, and uh, it's and and, it, and it's on it it is on it is on Amazon in both the uh, e ebook form and the paperback form, and I'm hopeful to get it onto uh, audio uh, here soon. But it did just come out a couple of weeks ago, so I so I um, so so I've still got some work to do, you know, to get yeah. promoted a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm appreciative of your time today. Uh, folks, I would highly encourage you, if anyone's listening to this and you are uh, an active uh, Latter-day Saint with whatever degree of belief you have, if you are sitting in the pews on Sunday and church is not meeting your emotional needs, it's not meeting your, it's not, it doesn't feel like a safe place because of things that leaders do or say, if if you're sitting with some discomfort that feels like there's some unhealthiness being imposed on you by the system and by the folks that lead it, my two cents is to pick up John Hansen's book, give it a read, and see if there might be some renegotiated uh, level of activity that you could hold that would allow you to uh, not feel the anxiety or hurt that Mormonism often causes, certainly causes to so many, uh, and maybe take your faith into your own hands rather than trusting entirely what uh, what you're being told to trust. Uh, and and I've always been a fan, John, of when this process starts where people begin to look for solutions to what they are starting to feel is a problem. I've always suggested that rather than trust the outer authorities out there, like if you were in Scientology as a Mormon, you would go like, I shouldn't trust Scientology's leaders. And if if you, as a Mormon, you'd go like, if I was a Jehovah's Witness, I shouldn't trust Jehovah's Witness leaders. The reality is that being a Mormon isn't any different. If you sit with what your leaders have said and done and the unhealthy things that happen in the now two hour block, we used to have to suffer for a third hour, John. Um, yeah, my, my two cents is if you're feeling something inside that says something's not right here, 
then I think John's book is probably the perfect book for you to read. And so I appreciate your time today, John. And uh, I hope that uh, I hope that the book does well. And I hope that people feel empowered to renegotiate their relationship to unhealthy systems, uh, Mormonism being one of them. Thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate it. Awesome. Have a uh, have an excellent day, my friend. All right.